Recently, trans rights have been being discussed more in the mainstream media thanks to activists and members of the community like Janet Mock and Laverne Cox who have been open about their trans identity. Anytime a marginalized group of people are being heard, I'm here for it. I'm working on becoming a better ally myself. So for today's guest, I'm sitting down with Lauren Sundrum. Lauren is a trans activist and an advice and beauty writer in the Vancouver, BC area. She's fighting to bring more awareness to trans healthcare and the microaggressions that many trans people deal with daily. Lauren drops knowledge on how we can be better allies, how language can perpetuate violence, and she challenges the narrative that transness is new by giving us a history lesson that I believe we all need to hear. I am honored to sit down with Lauren. I think that this is an awesome episode, one that everybody can benefit from, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. I guess I just want to start with with your personal story, because that's how we kind of all become activists and become passionate about things is, oh, for sure. is, is through our own experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, where, where shall I start? Do you want me to start? So, Cause like, I, I have a, an unusual kind of story in that I have, I, you know, I was out, I transitioned, and then I kind of went back into the closet and then I came out again. So do you want me to just sort of start Mm. from the very beginning? Yeah, from the very beginning, because I think that um, there's so many of us, myself included, even though I grew up in a coastal area, I had an uncle who was gay, who often um, dressed in drag. I was (laughs) around, yeah, I was very... um, you know, like uh, LGBTQ, like that's not, it wasn't even like a question, like if that was like tolerated or accepted in my household, but I've never had a relationship or a friendship with a trans person. I am unfamiliar. And, and that's why I really want to have, um, people come on the podcast is, is sometimes I need to be educated about like what this process looks like. And, you know, you know, like, so for me, my three-year-old who refers to herself as a boy, I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. But like, I don't totally, have the, I don't have the knowledge, you know what I mean? Or, I, and I want to know like what, what that felt like for you and, and, you know, kind of how you knew and how, how it went with your parents and all of these things. I think it's, oh, um, totally. And, you know, I just want to say that, um, it's so fantastic to hear you say that even though your daughter is sort of showing these signs of, of maybe not entirely conforming to her assigned, um, sex at birth, that you're okay with that. And you're just letting her express herself. And that's honestly the best thing a parent can possibly do for a child that doesn't conform to standard gender norms. So just wanted to say kudos to you for that. And, um, you know, it's, it's probably unlikely that she'll grow up to be trans, but you know, just let her express herself. She's a kid. Even now, Miley Cyrus talks about gender being gender fluid and gender neutral. And, you know, I I can remember phases in my life where 
I wanted to dress like a boy and be a boy. And, and these things are just, it's just part of, I feel like uh, the human experience. If we're just really fully allowing ourselves to express ourselves, that sometimes we feel more feminine and sometimes we feel more masculine and that's okay. Absolutely. And then if it comes to a point where you're like, you know what, I just feel, I know that I am a boy or I know I am a girl and you just, it's the opposite of the binary gender that you were assigned and and you want to go to a different binary gender. And when I say binary gender, I mean, you're not, there's less fluidity there. You're, you're like, Mm -hmm. say you were assigned like myself, I was assigned male at birth, but I am a woman. And so I was, you know, that's a binary gender identity. And so that's okay as well. So, you know, we, there's all this gender is definitely on a spectrum and wherever you fall on that spectrum should be totally okay. And there's this weird fear out there right now that it's somehow going to destroy the sanctity of society. And we just really need to get past that idea. So basically growing up, I always showed, um, uh, I expressed my gender femininely. Um, it was, uh, kind of just par for the course. My parents were, were kind of like, oh, like, cause you know, they were using male pronouns at the time with me. Oh, he's mm-hmm. just gay. It's fine. Like they had, they had just, they were already fine with that. And this was sort of, you know, in the early nineties and, and they were open-minded enough to be totally cool with that. Both of my mom's sisters are gay. It was like nothing that was, um, out of the ordinary for them. Um, so, you know, fast forward to me being age, um, 16 and I, you know, had been doing some research online about trans issues and, um, the mechanics of transitioning for a while. And I finally just said to my mom, I think this is who I am. And she was shocked. She hadn't had much experience, you know, with trans people in her lifetime. I don't think she'd even met a trans person at that point. Um, so she, you know, didn't really know what to make of it and that she was a little bit scared for me, um, because it's a, it's a harsh world. And if you're again, not conforming to gender norms, you're going to be treated as something of a pariah, which is just Um, mind boggling to me. It's just, I I just don't understand it. It's just like, why don't we just let people do what they want to do? Like who cares? Yeah, it's literally not going to affect anybody's lives at all if somebody chooses to express their gender differently or if their gender identity is different from the sex that they were assigned at birth. Um, so, you know, she, she, this was, um, about 14 years ago now. Um, so she, you know, I think she spent a few days on the couch kind of just crying because she was again fearful for what would happen to me. It wasn't so much that like I'm crying because my child is trans. It's I'm crying because um, I'm scared for them, but eventually she got up and sort of brushed herself off and started, um, phoning doctors to, to get the ball rolling. Um, and yeah. And that's amazing. Honestly, (laughs) it's, it's amazing. And again, I, it's unfortunate that this is an unusual situation that, um, you know, especially when there was less information about trans people back then, this is probably 2006, I think. Um, and, but she still just was like, we need to, we need to get you treatment. We need to get you, um, you know, this is, uh, she saw it as a medically necessary thing. And so that was, I don't know what I, where I would be right now if I didn't have that support from my parents. And, you know, there are some really grim statistics 
right now out. Um, there's, there's this really comprehensive survey that um, is available to people in the states called the National, the National Center for Transgender Equality's Trans Survey. And it, um, when, this was how they sort of discovered some of the high suicide rates um, in the trans community. Something like 40% of trans people have either attempted or considered suicide at some point. But that number drops to something like 4% when parents support their trans kids. So oh it's just, it's, it's so imperative that parents follow by example of what my parents did. And um, so anyway, uh, after that, um, I started hormone replacement therapy, which is um, for me was because, um, you know, I was 16 years old. I had already been in um, in the throes of puberty. So I needed a testosterone suppressant and um, an estrogen to, to boost my estrogen levels. Um, so we did that when I was 17. And um, all of those wonderful effects that I really wanted to see happen initially in puberty that never really did um, started to happen. So that was a huge psychological relief for me. Um, and after that, um, I had a bit of surgery done when I was around 19. Um, and then I had sort of what people have stereotypically, um, uh, placed as the finishing aspect of transitioning, which it's, it's not, but it's, um, I had sex reassignment surgery at about 21 years old. But, you know, that it's kind of problematic because everybody's like, oh, the surgery, are you getting the surgery? And, and, and transitions are sort of centered around this idea that um, you have to have sex reassignment surgery in order to be considered valid. And that's totally not true. And a lot of people choose not to get it. And yeah, that's what I was. Um, that's what I when I was talking to my husband, my husband's a big fan of yours. When I oh, was cool. talking to my husband about it, he goes, yeah, a lot of people are like not even they're opting not to have the surgery now mm -hmm. just because of the i mean like i don't know how it can affect you because obviously like i haven't researched into that but he said just like a lot of people are just choosing to do the hormones now are the hormones something that you have to continue on for life um they are just because from a um physical standpoint you know once once you have sex reassignment surgery especially your body no longer produces any kind of hormone on its own. Mm -hmm. So, um, if you stop hormones, you can get sort of like brittle bones and, um, kind of like what women who are going through menopause face. And so you, it's, it's better for your health to keep going with the hormones throughout your whole life. And if you want to choose okay. to go through some kind of menopause later in life, you can, but you know, this, there's not a lot of research on the long-term effects of, hormone replacement therapy, specifically on transgender people. There's not a lot of research on what happens if you do go through some kind of menopause on if, and you're a trans person. So um, there's a lot of unknowns still, even though we've been transitioning since the 1930s, medically transitioning, that is, since the 1930s, uh, there's still been no long-term studies on the health effects of these things. And that's really something we need to be advocating for because I kind of want to know what's going to happen to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I had no idea that transitioning medically had been going on for that long. That's yeah. That's, so do you know, have you heard of the film, the Danish girl? I haven't. Okay. So that was, it, it was getting some Oscar buzz. Um, it had 
what's his face who played Stephen Hawking? Um, you know the actor I'm referring to, right? I do. Okay. So anyway, he played uh, the first um, trans woman who was known to medically transition. Now, let me, um, and, and that's what the Danish girl is about, but let me just back up for a little bit. Eddie Raymond, Eddie Raymond, that's his name. Um, so it was kind of problematic that they had Eddie playing um, a trans woman because he's a cis man. And honestly, there are so many trans women who are looking for roles in Hollywood right now. Um, but nonetheless, this movie came out and detailed the life of Lily Elb, who was this Danish woman who um, was the first person to undergo what we know today to be sex reassignment surgery. Unfortunately, she ended up passing away um, on her second surgery, I believe. Um, but she, you know, she has gone down in history as the first person to do this. Um, and so, you know, from there, things only improved. And, um, and then the United States got their first um, dose of this when um, a woman named Christine Jorgensen um, transitioned and was thrown into the, to the public spotlight um, in the 50s. So, um, you know, we've been around forever. And there's all these people who are saying, you, you know, this is a trend. This is a new thing. No, it's just becoming more accepted and more people are feeling empowered to come out now which is a fabulous thing. And, and again, like we were mentioning earlier, people are, people are seeing this as a negative thing. And it's just, it just blows my mind that this is how society can react, especially when I've been very lucky to exist in this bubble of support from my family. Um, even my grandparents didn't bat an eyelash because wow. I, yeah, and they were in their late 80s at the time. Um, it, they've never missed a beat with my pronouns, with my name, nothing. And that was all because they were you know, they saw something in me when I was little that was, um, that was, you know, non-conforming. And so they were like, this totally makes sense. You start your hormones, you go through with, um, both of your surgeries. And then you had mm -hmm. said that you kind of went back into the closet or you. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, there was a lot of, um, at the time there weren't a whole lot of um, role models that were really in the public spotlight that were saying like, it's okay to be trans. And so, you know, as part of this sort of fear that I had in my head of like, what will happen to me if I'm out on a broader scale, I decided to kind of, you know, um, fly under the radar whenever I could, um, in, you know, in life. And so, um, after I had my sex reassignment surgery, I actually, um, ended up traveling overseas for modeling. So I went to um, Istanbul and Beijing. Those are the two overseas markets that I ended up going to for a few months at a time each. And, um, you know, it was in these places where nobody had known me previously. And it was an incredibly liberating experience to be able to do that. Um, and so I, I sort of continued to not be publicly out even after that, just because, you know, um, I just, I don't know, I had gone in too deep in some cases with some friendships, with some relationships that I just didn't feel comfortable coming out, which is just really too bad. I feel kind of like I've wasted, um, some of those years and, and I could have made an impact earlier, but nonetheless, no regrets. It's fine. We all go down the path that we're meant to go down. Um, but 
you know, finally I got to a place in my life where I had really, I was really comfortable in my career and I was working for, I, I currently still am working for a company that's super, um, pro LGBTQ and super liberal. Um, I'm in a really solid relationship. Um, and my partner's family all is very supportive. So I was kind of like, there's no reason for me not to come out at this point. And so I just decided to, um, you know, post it on all of my social media and see what happens. And, and I've been getting some, um, attention because of it. And so it's been really cool that I've been able to, um, talk about some really pressing trans issues. Um, honestly, because I, you know, I feel like it's, it's because I have privileges and people come to my page because of those privileges. You know, I'm traditionally pretty. I am, um, I, you know, in my photos, I look cis and would you, do you know what cis means? Do, should I give a little rundown of what that means? You can, I'm familiar with all of the terminology, but I think it's important for people. Like I want this episode to be an educational experience for people and for people to kind of open their eyes to, you know, what kind of started this was, so my husband and his friend, both from Vancouver. Um, oh, I didn't know that. That's came, cool. Yeah, my husband's from Vancouver, from West Van, and uh, we're actually what? I grew heading, up in West Van. That's hilarious. Ah, <laughs> we're heading there um, end of June. But back on track. So uh, uh, Vancouver, it's like almost like everybody knows everybody. It seems like, yes. you know, it's like, oh, you know this per- You know what I mean? Like, especially if you're in the same kind of age range. And so my husband's much older than you are, but (laughs) um, but his friend, his friend isn't. Um, So he, his friend pulled up this picture and he was like, do you think she's pretty? And Evan said, I think she's gorgeous. And he said, she used to be male. And Evan, and he was (laughs) like, would you, and then they started the conversation of, would you ever be in a relationship with a trans woman? And Evan came home and was like, I just had the most interesting conversation. He's like, I just never even thought that I would have that conversation. And he, and so we started opening the dialogue between us. Like what, like, would you like, what would that look? And of course, both of our answers were the same. Like we love a person for the person. We don't, we wouldn't care, you know, like if he was trans or if I was trans, like we wouldn't care. And so we started having this dialogue and then, Um, I looked on your page and I started following along and I was like, wow, like what Lauren is saying is important. People need to hear it. Um, and we need to be open. Well, so many people would have shut down and not been willing to like have that dialogue with their spouse or with their friends or you know what I mean? Can we pause for a little bit and talk about sort of why the, would you date this girl narrative is a little problematic? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, so that's kind of a trope that's been in the media for many years. You know how Maury Povich used to have these shows of like, is it a woman or is it a man? Um, where they would parade people through and, and you, they had I'm the not audience familiar, guessing. but okay. that's horrible. <laughs> so I was the only one who watched trash TV growing up. That's okay. fine. No, um, <laughs> no, 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 that's not true. I totally watched Jerry Springer growing up. Jerry Springer is another great example of that sort of like shock value that's used, mm. um, with trans women. And often that's an aspect of 
transness, um, that shock value was used by cis people often to perpetuate violence against us. Um, mm. you know, it, as the like, oh, it's a, this person is deceitful. They're not saying exactly who they are. And I know your husband absolutely was not doing that, but it's just important to draw attention to that narrative that it can be seen as this super problematic thing that can often lead yeah. to violence for us. It is your right as a trans person to come out how you want, to whom you want, when you want. And exactly. I totally and, understand and actually, the safety aspect of that, especially yes. in dating. And I'd love for you to talk about yes. that too, because I think that um, that's part of the narrative of like, oh, well, she shouldn't be going out on dates and then five dates in like shocking this person that I get what you're saying with regards to that. I have a lot to say about dating and I've had some interesting experiences with dating. Um, it's, yeah, again, that, that sort of narrative that the media per perpetuates of trans women tricking, and I am using that in air quotes, you can't see me right now, but um, <laughs> tricking straight men into dating them is just so false and, and, and dangerous. And so, and, but that's a, a, you know, a trope that has followed me throughout my dating life. And there's always this, uh, a constant conversation of when is the right time to tell a guy when you start dating him? And there's no right answer to that because every guy will have a different reaction to you as a trans woman. And some are like, well, I would like to know that before I even go on a date with you. Um, some are like, well, you know, it's whenever you feel comfortable. Um, but the ver the reality is, is that a trans women face a lot of violence, especially black trans women. Exactly. And so that it's, it's, it, this is a conversation that I was having very recently. It's my belief that it's in a trans woman's best interest because we live in a really, may I swear? Oh, of course. <laughs> we live in a really fucked up world right now where violence against trans women is it's almost normalized. Um, and so it's, it's in a trans woman's best interest to, um, tell a guy before, if she's using an online dating platform, tell him before you even go on a date with him. Um, or if you've met him in public, make sure you're in a good crowded area and tell him there. Um, because your life isn't worth, um, you know, potentially being in danger. It's just not. And I've done so many stupid things <laughs> when I was younger. Um, where I, you know, didn't tell dudes, I even, you know, had sex with some dudes and didn't tell them. And, and that's something that, um, I only regret because that could have turned out very differently than it did. Um, mm -hmm. and again, I have white privilege on my side because I am a white trans woman and I face less violence than a black trans woman does. There have been nine black trans women who have been murdered so far in 2019 and that number is going to continue to grow. And especially in Dallas, there's been a bit of an epidemic of um, black trans women being killed. And so it's just, you know, that guy is not worth potentially um, taking your life away from you. It's crazy to me because the narrative is, oh, it's so fucked up of them not to tell. But the narrative should be it's so fucked up that men would brutally beat or kill a woman over that Correct. instead of just taking the news and moving on you know what i mean like that that Correct. would incite such anger and such violence i mean obviously there's so much racism and so much just horrendous stuff going on right now but um oftentimes women and then um 
men of color are made to be out to be these like, you know, horrible, horrendous people, but we don't ever focus mm-hmm. on the white men, you know what I mean? Or upper class right. men who are actually raping us and actually killing us and, and all of the horrendous stuff that they're doing. That narrative just, it always gets washed away. And especially even with the shootings out here in the States, it's just like, uh, it's always like, oh, he was mentally ill or, oh, this. It's like, oh, no, he was just like a white man with like toxic, toxic masculinity that all of a sudden yeah. got the idea that he wanted to go shoot up like a synagogue, like, or a school or whatever it might be. And the, those kinds of media narratives continue to, um, allow cis, cis hat. So by, uh, and I never explained what cisgender was. Cisgender yes. just means non-trans, it just means non-transgender. So you're cisgender, I'm transgender. Anyway, um, so cisgender, heterosexual white men, um, you know, the narratives that we see in the media of how they are portrayed versus, um, especially, you know, if we're going to say people of color, especially black people, um, yes. it's, it's really, um, the, the, the way that the media paints them empowers them to, you know, put slide in that racist joke, slide in that transphobic joke, and then continue, um, to allow our culture to, um, think that's okay. And it's just, it's not because words, um, have meaning, words have weight, and words are violence. Um, and, and that can't be ignored. And it doesn't help, especially in our country where we have, you know, the president referring to, Ugh. you know, certain countries, certain ways, and certain people from certain countries, certain ways. And then this whole gen- transgender bathroom fiasco, which is just absolutely oh. absurd. Just, it's, I have, it, we've the been going stuff on. Is just- yeah, it's just the tip of the iceberg because there's even more um, bullshit that Trump has been um, putting in place for trans people, namely rolling back Obama era protections that are in place for us. Um, the most recent being a rollback that was a protection for um, trans people seeking shelter. So if they're going to a homeless shelter, um, it's now uh, there was a, a rollback that now allows shelters to deny somebody um, a place to stay based on their gender identity. And I was, it's so hard for trans women, especially because I, um, I was reading this one black trans woman talking about her experience with trying to access a homeless shelter when she was homeless. She's, she's now actually an editor for out magazine, um, her Amazing. name's Raquel. She's really cool. Raquel Willis, I believe is her name. She was talking about how she, um, went to a women's shelter and they turned her away for being trans. And then she went to a men's shelter and they turned her away for looking too female. And so she was left out on the street, vulnerable and in complete danger. And so that will be the reality once again, once these rollbacks go into place. And And we know that so much of the population, especially of young people who are homeless, are homeless because their families have kicked them out to the streets for being LGBTQ. I mean, that's just like the sad reality of what is taking place. And so these people have nowhere to go. And now that is just such a, that is just 
just heartbreaking, especially, I mean, it is. In, in the center of the U.S., that those areas are going to be affected just so gravely from, mm-hmm. from and you, that. And you know, the, the homeless, the National Center for Transgender Equality survey that I referred to earlier, they, they um, pointed out that something like 15% of trans people have experienced homelessness, which is mm. th- over three times the national average. And so it's, it, it, sh- it goes to show that this rollback not only um, affects a disproportionate part of our population, but that it's intended to harm us. There's no other reason why keeping uh, trans people out of shelters should exist. Trans women are not the people who who harm cis women. Trans women are just as vulnerable as cis women and need protections. And it's just disgusting to think that um, an administration would, again, um, just completely um, basically advocate for hate. Um, that's what they're doing here. And it's, you know, earlier um, in our email correspondences, you one of the things that you had asked me um, was uh, that you wanted to touch on. And sorry if I'm sort of breaking up the order right now, but um, you had um, asked us to touch on whether or not trans rights are improving or getting worse. And I think that that is a really double, that's a double-edged sword because um, from a legal standpoint, from um, a political standpoint, I would say things are getting worse um, only because bigots um, feel empowered by the fact that the administration is constantly rolling back our rights and uh, with the military bans, with the bathroom issues, with homeless shelters, um, there that empowers the bigots to then go to take to the streets and hunt us down. Um, however, I will say that with positive media um, portrayals recently, um, with the, the series Pose, with um, activists like Janet Mock and Laverne Cox um, given, being given more platforms and more opportunities, that is an improvement, a vast improvement over where we were years ago. And I can attest to that because, you know, I, I came out many, many, or, you know, came out to my family many years ago. And so I've been able to see the evolution of how we're portrayed in media, and it, it has improved. Yeah, I would definitely say that as a society, more and more people are becoming comfortable with with letting people express themselves and having that personal freedom to do with what they want with their bodies. I mean, we're always putting out some fire here in the U.S., but we're just dealing with this abortion thing, right? Mm -hmm. Which is obviously like very scary. And um, but when I was actually looking at like the numbers of people that support this, it's a very, it is a very small portion of people who are actually like this close minded and this, yes. you know what I mean? Like there are people, I think there's, there's a lot of people who maybe don't have a lot of knowledge about these issues, which is why I wanted to have you on the podcast and for me to grow my own knowledge about what trans people are and the issues that they're dealing with and, and how mm-hmm. we can become better allies. I think that there's more people who know a lot. I think there's more people who are willing to learn. I think that societally we're moving into a place that is much more progressive than when, where we were even 10 years ago. But totally. as a response to that, that 
30% of the population that is so ultra conservative is responding by, you know, putting fear tactics out into the media, by reversing Obama policies, by Mm -hmm. changing, trying to put out their narrative as a response. And so it's really important that we are constantly saying, no, you know, this isn't the truth. Never once have I worried about a trans woman attacking me in the bathroom. I'm far more worried. It doesn't happen. (laughs) It doesn't happen. I've never once even thought about that. I have, however, worried about a cis white male following me into the bathroom or following me to my car or hiding in my backseat or sneaking into my backseat when I'm um, putting gas in my car or whatever, because the reality is that's what's happening. Absolutely. And you can't, you can't deny the the rights of a group of an entire group of people over what ifs. And so the what ifs that I've heard as far as the bathroom thing goes is um, well, if we start allowing trans women to use the women's bathroom, which by the way, we've been using women's facilities for as long as we've for, existed and forever. nobody's ever had a yes. problem. Um, <laughs> yes. so, um, you know, and we, we have stalls the, by the way, people, it's like, it's not like, everybody's. Yeah. you know what I mean? It's not like a <laughs> well, men's restroom. I'm far more concerned about the trans men that are using men's restrooms and you know, the, well, the, yes safety of that situation because well, of so t- other men, cis men in the bathroom yes. and their reactions. Well, but you know, cis um, trans men also have the option to use a stall. So there's privacy yes. options all around. And so yeah. frankly, whatever is in somebody's pants when they're using that washroom is none of your business and they don't want to show you. <laughs> they, they just want to <laughs> yes. use we, like trans women and trans men, non-binary people, just want to go into a bathroom, relieve themselves, wash their hands and get the fuck out. They're not looking to harass you. They're not looking to, do you know what? It's just, it's mind boggling what people think. So, but even if they don't think that specifically about trans people, that trans people will be the ones inflicting violence. They think that by allowing us to use the washrooms of our choice, that, um, it will empower criminals to sneak in there and like molest people, which is also, um, sorry, like um, if a man which is, is not going your to go into a women's, problem. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a, my fucking it's problem. It's not your fucking and, problem. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but uh, if a man is going into a women's, a woman's washroom to commit a crime, he's not going to do that because, um, a new law came into effect. He's going to do that regardless. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not going, it's Absolutely. not, he's not going to be like, oh, it's, it's legally sanctioned now because A, it's not. And B, um, like, he's just going to, he's going to just fucking do it. Like, it's a complete, um, false narrative that's been used as a scare tactic to, again, continue to subjugate us. And, and we're not having it. I want to talk to you for a second about the Me Too movement. And, um, sure. you know, so in response to Donald Trump becoming president, you know, hundreds of thousands of women across the, the world gathered together in protest to um, create this movement. And as a result, I think even though there was quite a bit of drama about, you know, it not being as inclusive as it as it should be, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that that sparked even more healthy dialogue. Yeah, it, it absolutely did spark some healthy dialogue around even what constitutes a woman um, in terms mm-hmm. of like 
physical requirements because there was a lot of, you know, the, this pussy, um, grabs back or, you know, the little pussy hats or hands off my uterus, which are all, um, relevant, uh, you know, sayings and, and, you know, it's fine. But at the same time, it's kind of like, why are we centering what a woman is around our physical structures when not every woman has a uterus and not every woman has a vagina. And so I think that was kind of some of the complaints from um, a trans side of it. Um, and, and even maybe a woman who's had a hysterectomy or there are also intersex women who are born without uteruses um, and born with XY chromosomes um, who, you know, externally appear to be totally female. Um, it's, you know, there's so many um, variables and, and spectrums of sex and gender identity that, you know, it's, it is important to consider being as inclusive as you possibly can. Be. So I'm obviously white, female, upper mm-hmm. middle class. I wasn't always mm-hmm. upper middle class. I actually grew up on food sure. stamps for a good portion. But um, mm-hmm. but I would say that I'm like a very compassionate person. And through my addiction and coming out of my addiction, um, I, I, I've sat down and as a counselor sat down with people from all different walks of life. And um, when the talk about privilege started happening, I had no problem with it. Like it be, it was very clear to me, like the privileges that I do have, like it wasn't hard for me to, it wasn't like a hard pill for me to swallow. Like, I think that um, teaching people about, about proper pronouns and teaching people about um, uh, uh, LGBTQ issues and helping people to learn is the way that we're going to grow is the way that we're going to, you know, gain allies is the way that we're going to kind of unify. And so, um, I just was noticing a lot of really intense emotion when somebody was referred to in, um, the wrong way. And it actually happened to me personally Mm -hmm. too. And I, someone jumped down my throat, like, Oh, I was like, holy shit, like 15 steps back (laughs) Mm. Um, from making that mistake. And I was obviously, thankfully, like aware enough to go, I'm so sorry. It was not my intention to hurt you. It's all in how we respond to being called out for um, saying the wrong thing. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't, we don't want to think of ourselves as being problematic, but everybody I don't care who you are is problematic in some way um, and has had to correct their behavior in one way or another. It's how you receive that feedback that is important. And if you say, um, wow, I fucked up, I will do better. I, that's the best response that you can possibly have to somebody who belongs to a minority group and is saying, you've expressed this sentiment to me. This is violent. This is this is terrible. Mm. Um, please do better. All we, the best thing that anybody can do who's in a position of privilege can, can do is just say like, I will do better. You know, it's yeah. just about listening. And I think that's what a lot of people miss the point because we all get defensive, um, when we're called out for being problematic, but, um, there is no shame in saying I was wrong and I will, and I will strive to be better. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
And I think a lot of people get like really wrapped up in like the pain wars. Like, mm, <laughs> you know what I'm I mean? more oppressed than you. Like, like, yeah, like I, yeah. And, um, and, you know, so uh, even though, um, as a white woman, I've experienced like a lot of adversity, right? Like, I've almost died during childbirth. I've, um, been raped. I've been sexually abused when I was a child. I've been beaten by men before. I've had sure. all of these experiences, right? That like weren't, you know, so like when people hear the word privilege, they often go, I am not privileged. I am absolutely not privileged. But all we're talking about is that on as a as a whole, when we look at statistics about how many black women are dying versus white women, it's yes. at a far higher rate than white women are and incarceration well, and, rates the same. And, and all, it's totally, you know, okay, totally. It's totally okay to also say like, I have experienced these hardships, but I have never been oppressed for being white. I've never been oppressed mm-hmm. for being cis. I've never been oppressed for being straight. That's okay to recognize. Yes, you grew up poor. Yes, you um, had a really tough time. Like you almost died in childbirth. Those are all things that are that shape who you are and have been traumatic experiences. And and certainly, you probably were oppressed for being poor growing up. It's not. Um, it's it's totally okay to say that, but it's also okay to recognize that you weren't oppressed for your race. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're yes, all exactly. these are all different. These are all different intersections that need to be considered. Like I, I have never been oppressed in my life for being white and it will never happen. Um, I have been oppressed for being trans. And so you can only imagine once those intersections cross, once you're a black trans woman, all of the different things that you could possibly be oppressed for. And you, you most certainly will be oppressed for in your lifetime. So it's just, we need to consider intersections. And this is why intersectional feminism is so important because we need to be putting our most vulnerable members of um, most vulnerable women forward. And that includes black trans women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your activism, if your feminism isn't placing um, both black trans and cis women forward um, ahead of yourself, you are not participating in we'll, feminism We'll never properly. move anywhere. We'll never move anywhere yeah. because the reality is until we are until we even just acknowledge, first of all, I feel like one of the benefits of Trump was that we could finally all acknowledge that racism is still like alive and well. I feel like there was yeah. like a huge part. I, I, I mean, it was kind of shocking to me the amount of people who were just so unaware of the fact of the ways that racism are still taking place across mm-hmm. the world, but especially in the U.S. and the way. Yeah ways that we use legislation to oppress people and yeah that is maybe the only blessing of of this presidency is that people are kind of having these challenging conversations like i said and and so the me too me too movement there was some backlash after you know and i think that Mm um um some people got offended by some of the things that were being said, but it's their important things that needed to be said. The goal is to evolve, right? We're all here to evolve. We're we're all here to grow. Um, And hopefully this podcast is a platform for people to do just that. Um, 
I want to talk to you for a second about relationships because I, I think that's yeah. you did a um, Q and A with your partner um, a few weeks ago on your Instagram yeah. about your relationship and what that looks like, and um, I think people would want to know like h- how how what relationships look like after you transition and what, yeah. what your dating um, life has kind of looked like. Yeah. Well, it's been an interesting experience. Um, you know, you, the funny thing about Matt and I is that we've known each other for well over a decade now. Um, and we actually did meet in a dating context. I was probably 19 years old. He was like 21. And um, and we met online back before it was cool to meet online for dating. <laughs> um, but we, um, you know, we've kept in touch over the years, but you know, Matt wasn't quite there with um, feeling comfortable with dating a trans woman. And so we've been in and out of each other's lives over that, uh, over that 10 years. But about three years ago, you know, he finally was in a good spot where he was like, okay, I've done the work on myself. Um, I'm in a better place emotionally. I'm uh, feeling more comfortable in who I am. I feel like I'm ready to do this. And I happen to be single. And so, you know, we, we gave it a shot and now we're engaged. So it, it kind of oh, worked out. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but it's, um, the journey that Matt went on, um, to through self-discovery and through, um, undoing problematic thought processes is, um, symptomatic of how we treat men who date trans women because there is a, you know, men are so scared that if they date a trans woman, they're going to be viewed as lesser by society. They're going to be, um, you know, uh, even though there's nothing wrong with being gay, they're going to be inaccurately seen as gay by people who don't, um, you know, understand that we're women. (laughs) So it's kind of like, it's, there's so many layers to it and, and, He's, um, I'm, I'm very proud to say that he's really done a lot of work on himself to get to where he is now. So, and I wish that all men who find themselves in a situation where they're attracted to a trans woman, but society is, is throwing these, um, things at them saying that they shouldn't be. Um, I, I hope that I see more men making those, um, you know, that effort to be better. That there's definitely work that needs to be done just because of societal programming. You know, it's like there's so much programming that goes on just even from birth. Absolutely. I've had men tell me, so here are my thoughts. And I I don't know if every trans person will necessarily agree with, with my personal beliefs, but I don't think it's inherently transphobic for somebody to have like um, genital preferences, for example, Mm -hmm. like um, if you're not into a penis, that's fine. You shouldn't have to, you, nobody is forcing you to date somebody with a penis. What I have an issue with is when a, a trans woman um, or a trans man or even a non-binary person has every physical attribute that you're looking for, but um, then you, you then reject them for being trans anyway. To me, that mm-hmm. is transphobic because like I've had men say like, oh, well, I'm not attracted to trans women. And I'm like, well, you were attracted to me, you know, 10 minutes ago before I gave you this piece of information. So yes, you have in fact been attracted to a trans woman. 
And if this piece of information is the only thing that's changing it for you, that is transphobic to me. So, um, yeah, you know, I've experienced that over and over again, or, you know, a lot of men have used the excuse of, um, well, you can't have children. So I don't see a future with you. And it's kind of like, you feel okay to say that because I'm a trans woman, but if this had been a cis woman who had fertility issues, like that would be an extremely fucked up thing to say, or if she had had a hysterectomy or if, but it's not considered fucked up when it's a trans woman. Do you know what I mean? If you, if you can't, well, like, why is it that you also can't love an adopted children, an adopted child rather, just as much as you could have loved one that is genetically related to you? Like to me, that's also uh, something that I'll never quite understand, but Oh, you, you want know? to hear something really fucked up, just kind of off topic, but on this topic. So Evan and I, yeah. we can't have any more babies. I had my pulmonary okay. embolism and it's not safe for me to have any more children. Okay. And so gotcha. we looked into IVF and we were just kind of like, it's really expensive. And we had, we were affected by the big Malibu fire. And so we were like, okay, out of budget mm-hmm. too. And so we sure, sat down sure. and we talked to an adoption attorney And we really want, we have a gender preference, which makes the wait longer. I really want a son. I've always envisioned myself having a son. I want a son. And, uh, plus another girl in this household, like, oh, the energy in here is already (laughs) like, oh my gosh, so much. But I was like, if we're going to have a third, then I want to have a little boy. So we- Tell this to the adoption agent or uh, uh, attorney. And he goes, are you Mm -hmm. open to any race? And I said, of course, why is that even a question? And he goes, you would be surprised. He goes, the vast majority of people who adopt are Caucasian. And the vast majority of people who adopt only want Caucasian children. And I was, it broke my heart. I was, he, but he yeah. was like, but it's good news for you because you won't have to wait two years to get a baby. And I was like, it's like, I you're mean, willing to good, wait just so that you have uh, a white baby, what? a white baby. <laughs> like what the kid's not going to look like you anyways. It's not going right. to look like you. It's not your genetic <laughs> child. I would love any baby. Like, I just want to have a baby. Like I, that yeah. was like shot that experience. I was just like, and, and if that's not a perfect example of racism, then I don't know what is. Like where you're yeah, so against sure. having a Latino baby or an African American baby, like uh, totally. Um, and I, th- I think that there's also this like interesting dichotomy of parents not wanting to deal with the oppression that a, a baby that is of a different race than them would go through. Um, you know, I like, don't even know if people the, have that much. Um, yeah, you're probably I don't even right. know if most people are even that aware. <laughs> That's something that crossed my mind. Like when I thought about the potential of possibly raising a black son, I thought, okay, how am I going to make sure all of his needs are met and make sure that he's safe and make sure that he knows about his culture and make sure all of these things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and know about the statistics and know about the risks and know about his how to keep himself safe. Like it is absolutely I mean, but I think the same for my daughters, right? Because they're girls, yeah. but it's different yeah. raising yes. a, a black son. Uh, you know what I mean? Y- so it's, yes. it's totally different. And and I just don't think that um, enough, uh, I don't think enough people even have that awareness, which is almost scary, which is almost yeah. scary to think about too. 
actually, now that I am putting For sure. the pieces together. Yeah, totally. But, um, well, I hope you guys are able to adopt sooner than later. That's, I that's so exciting. I hope so too. <laughs> I'm like dealing with some health stuff right now. So we're kind of on pause, yeah. but, um, sure. I mean, and my husband's turning 45, so he's like, you need to figure this out. Like, are we doing yeah. this or are we not? Because, like, I'm not wanting to be, like, 70 and still having kids at home. I'm like, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, no, that's fair. <laughs> it is. Yes. We were 15 years apart. So I knew going into this that if we were going to have kids, it was going to be young. I was going to be really young, which is totally, totally fine. Um, How old are you? So I, I'm 28. Okay. Yeah. I'm 28 so you're and he's the, 44. Yeah. So you're at prime age and he's kind of like mm, on the cusp maybe is how you yeah. guys are feeling. Yeah. yeah <laughs> absolutely. Would you rather use someone's dirty underwear or <laughs> oh their God. toothbrush? Oh, their toothbrush. Is that even a question? I, I don't mean, know. I don't want their nastiness around my sensitive bits. That's gross. <laughs> I know, but I wouldn't want someone's mouth nastiness in my mouth necessarily either. Yeah, I don't know. Like That's a hard rinse, one. I, I, you know, that wasn't that hard for me. I'm sorry. I don't want okay. their dirty underwear on me. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, would you rather have one a one-minute conversation with your past self or your future self? Oh, God. My past self. Um, only because I know for certain um, how I felt when I was younger and the insecurities that I had. And I just want to go back and say, like, you are going to be totally fine. And you're going to fulfill a lot of those dreams that you had. And don't worry about it. Just let life take you. And, and, um, yeah. So for sure my past self, because I just, I know how insecure I was. I would have said past self too. Um, would you rather eat poison ivy or swallow a wasp? Oh God. You're awful. Um, I think I would rather. <laughs> These are uh, very light. My answer is poison ivy. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one is sex with someone with BO or bad breath. Oh, oh, um, uh, BO, BO, because I just, I don't, I, I have a thing about bad breath and like, if, you know, if we're talking, I just like, if he's like really close to your face, you can probably I smell know. it more. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I would have picked the same. Well, okay, thank good. you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Plug all your stuff. Where can people find oh, you? Okay. Okay. So, um, the, where I rant mostly is on Instagram. So, um, if you want to follow me, it's Lauren G Sundstrom, which is L A U R E N G S U N D S T R O M. This week's affirmation is. I open my heart and sing the joys of love. And so it is. 